I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence, we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. We've got chapters 20 through 26, and essentially he's assuring them that they are of the house of Israel. And then when it's talking about, you know, the gathering of Israel and the reunification of the tribes and all of that, um, that they're involved in that too, that they're not excluded from that. It's not just the people in Jerusalem. I think that's really cool because, you know, it's talking about a land which is far distant, a land which ye know not. Yes, they were a branch of the tree of Israel, but they were also lost from its body. And he wanted them to know everything that we've talked about, everything that you've read about from the prophets is talking about the house of Israel. That That's talking about you, too. And then the introduction says, um, basically, this is talking about all of us as well, not just the people in Israel, not just the people that he's directly spoke to in the Americas, but all of us by extension as well are all um, adopted into the house of Israel, even even what it refers to as the Gentiles, you know, eventually they will be brought into the house of Israel. I think what these chapters reminded me was of, um, we're told many times in the Book of Mormon that the plain and simple truths were taking kind of out of the scriptures and that the Book of Mormon restores a lot of those plain and simple truths. And one of those that I that I felt here was that the Lord's people aren't a specific uh, race or culture or nationality. It's whoever chooses to be righteous, our favorite of the Lord. You know, and it it it's very. Um, oftentimes, we can feel like the scriptures or the promises made to Israel seem to be kind of like exclusive. And these made it seem like it's really inclusive. And he's wanting to know that it applies to everybody who's willing to become his people. And I like how in chapter 20, he begins by uh, giving them the sacrament again, you know. And he tells them uh, in verse 8, and he said unto them, He that eateth this bread eateth my body to his soul. And he that drinketh of this wine drinketh of my blood to his soul. And his soul shall never hunger nor thirst, but shall be filled. And when the multitude had all eaten and drunk, behold, they were filled with the Spirit, and they did cry out with one voice and gave glory to Jesus, whom they both saw and heard. And I, it's interesting that, I don't know, I find that 
I mean, there's a need for a sacrament. It's a, like a ritual, a ritual that reminds us of our covenants. But it's one that he has made that everyone can partake. Everyone knows what hunger is. And to be able to have a ritual that just as it just as food addresses hunger, so does his teachings address our needs, our spiritual needs. And just so as without doing anything, you will grow to be hungry and need food again. Just without having Christ in your life, you will hunger spiritually and 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 need nourishment. Yeah, I think it's also really important because we're talking about he's deciding to do the sacrament again. And it's almost in a way to prepare them to talk about this really important thing, the gathering of Israel. You know, it's not just, hey, we did it a while ago, it's time to do it again. It was like we're going to get ourselves in this mind space, in this good, good place to be talking about something this important and this holy. What's a good way to get ourselves in that proper headspace? Well, let's do the sacrament, you know. Let's let's do this again so that we can be thinking of holy things. We can have the spirit very strongly with us. So I can tell you what the purpose of all of this is. And really, also what it's talking about, I mean, he's talking to them about them. But we've talked about this several times, how the Book of Mormon will be talking about those present, but also talking to the future people. And so, in a way... Um, when he's talking to them, and he's also talking to us, he's telling us it's time to focus on missionary work and participating in the gathering of Israel. You're not excluded from this. This is part of who you are also, but it's up to all of us to help others realize their involvement in this greater plan, you know, the plan of happiness that the Savior has for us. And so I think it's really interesting that he would, like you said, start with the sacrament first, kind of get everybody in the, you know, the way we start a sacrament meeting, typically we do the sacrament first and then we do the talks. Why do we do it that way? For the most part, I think it's so that we set the stage for the meeting. You know, we set a reverence for the meeting. And that's really what he did. Here's the sacrament. Now let's talk about the gathering of Israel. And they'd heard about it, I'm sure. And a lot of them were probably aware of what that was. But I think maybe there were people who didn't realize that that included them. And that's why he felt it necessary to say, this is you too, you know. Um, you're not, this isn't just somebody far away in a, in a different place. Another part that I thought was really interesting was in verse, in chapter 21, in verse 4, where he's talking, well, I always feel like uh, Isaiah is something where, Isaiah is always, he's like a motivational speaker. Uh, like there's always words and phrases like shake, shake the dust off, rise up. Uh, be strong, you know, and then the other side is remember the Lord keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He's made promises. He will keep them. It's all going to be okay. And then just woven in that is just a lot of different uh, kind of analogies to explain those two principles that uh, you can do this, be of good cheer. You're not forgotten, you know, but in verse four, it kind of speaks about how the Gentiles are going to bring the gospel kind of back to the Israel, you know, and it's talking about uh, America here, the, the land of America for and then verse four of chapter 21, for it is wisdom in the father that they should be established in this land 
and be set up as a free people by the power of the Father, that these things might come forth from them unto the remnant of your seed, that the covenants of the Father may be fulfilled, which he hath covenant with his people, O house of Israel. Therefore, when these things and works which shall be brought among you hereafter shall come forth from the Gentiles unto your seed, which shall dwindle in unbelief because iniquity. For thus it behooveth the Father that it should come forth from the Gentiles, that he may show forth his power unto the Gentiles. For this cause that the Gentiles, if they will not harden their hearts, that they may repent and come and be baptized in my name and know of the true points of my doctrines, that they may be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. So once again, he's kind of, it's it's kind of like he's letting them know what you feel now, like you're going to fall away, <laughs> you know, your, your descendants. But the blessings of the covenants you make is that within time, there will be a restoration brought to you. There will be the gospel brought. And this time it's going to come from the Gentiles. And it's going to come in the form that they're going to bring, you know, the Bible and all that stuff. And we've, you know, there's a lot of that in the scriptures. But I like how it switches like in verse 6 to, and then the Gentiles, if they don't harden their hearts and they repent and they're baptized, they will be numbered among Israel. So again, it's a very inclusive doctrine of Israel. What is Israel? Who is Israel? Israel is anyone who is willing to keep the commandments. And, be, and they'll be numbered as if they've always been blessed, you know. And that's kind of the blessing of the restoration of the gospel, you know. As Israel is gathered, who is Israel? Well, Israel, you can look at it as it's a very specific descendants from some people. But the principle behind it is Israel is anyone who's willing to keep the commandments and follow the Lord. They're adopted into Israel and counted. And then in the manual, it also talks about in chapters 22 and 24, how the Savior quotes Isaiah and Malachi. And he uses very, he says it's full of vivid images and comparisons, colorful foundation stones, the fire, the silver, the windows of heaven. And, and you know, Isaiah is very, uh, he uses a lot of these metaphors to talk about gospel principles. Um, but then the question it asks is, what does each one teach you about God's relationship with his people? And, and I think God's relationship with his people is that he's always trying to refine us. You know, I think the, the example of purified silver is is really interesting because, you know, when you when you harvest ore from the ground, it's not pure. It's a raw material and there's stuff mixed up in it. And in order to get pure silver, it has to be completely melted down so that the silver and the other stuff separate and you can get the other stuff out of it and kind of break it off and remove it from from the, the mix. And then you have this block of pure silver. And if we think about that in terms of how the Lord treats us, we're being put through this probationary state, this life that we're in to be refined to be melted down and, and really challenged to get to the, the pure basics of what he wants us to be. And everything we go through and everything that we overcome, we're getting rid of some of that excess material that's in there. And yeah, sometimes we add a little bit of excess material back in when we commit sin, you know, and stuff like that. But the whole point that he's trying to do is, is trying to refine us, to make us a better version of ourselves. I think that that's an interesting image that, that he does um, comparing us to purified silver, you know, um, it's always, it's always a way of, of demonstrating 
through through something that we might understand and be able to see physically on earth uh, a gospel principle so in verse in chapter 22 verse 16 i thought that that verse was interesting where he says behold i created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work and i created the water to the waster to destroy i don't know what that means <laughs> <laughs> but it almost felt like it means like to me i it felt like I created, I, it's like almost like I orchestrated this environment in which you're going to be refined, where okay. you're going to go through this challenge and this test. Meaning, oftentimes you can feel like, I don't know, most of the time in life we want to not have trials, not have difficulties, not have to, like we want everything to be easy. And we envision that, you know, that everything is positive and there's no you know, effort needed for good things. And I don't know, I, I feel like, I think that's one of the things that we, we the scriptures and the plan of salvation gives us is perspective. Like the reason we are here is to use our agency and to choose good. But in order to do that, we have to be enticed by good and evil. And in order to do that of our own free will, Others around us must do so as well and must affect us with their decisions and, and all that stuff. I don't know. That's what kind of that reminder I would like. Did you have any thoughts about? In, um, the, in the Sunday school manual, they have a, a section about refining and purifying. And it says silver is found mixed with other minerals in deposits of ore. Anciently, a refiner of silver would extract the silver by placing the ore in a furnace heated to extreme temperatures. This would cause dross impurities or unwanted minerals to emerge on the surface of the molten ore. The refiner would scrape the dross away, leaving pure silver, which would be identified by its distinctive glow. And then he mentions in that scripture a fuller. And it says a fuller is someone who cleansed and whitened cloth. The cloth would be immersed in water mixed with the fuller soap, which was designed to remove oil and dirt. While the cloth was soaking, the fuller would beat or stamp it to remove impurities. And that's kind of what we were talking about, about that it's a process, that it's a refiner's fire, that, you know, even the fuller, it's not a gentle process to remove oil and dirt from cloth to make it white, especially back then. There were very few things, I think, that were very, very white or that were able to be kept clean without a lot of effort. And so it's kind of just showing, you know, this, why was he bring, why would he bring up purifying of silver or the fuller's cloth? Because those were well-known practices that required a lot of effort for purification and that's the process we're going through when he's talking about like you said i created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work the little that i know about blacksmithing you know uh you need a really hot fire you need something to keep it stoked and keep it going um so you need someone who knows what they're doing to to both put the the metal or the whatever into the flame and remove it in time so it doesn't get destroyed. Like it's a very, it's a lot of timing and a lot of measurements on the fly that you can't really just say, okay, we're at the right temperature now. It's a lot of things by feel and you have to know what you're doing. And I think what he's saying is there's a lot of things that are out of your control that I am in control of and that I am fully aware of what the effects are. Like, and like you were saying, I know the challenges you're going to face and I've prepared all of this as a refiner's fire for you. 
so that in the end we'll have a really good product. And look at verse 17, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall revile against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. You think about the times in uh, in some of the war chapters when they talked about they had, you know, a, a sword or something that was brittle and that broke and things like that. Um, if it's done incorrectly, you can still make something out of metal, but if it's not refined properly at the right temperatures or whatever, it's a weak metal. And when it's struck against something that has been formed properly, it shatters. And so he's saying, you know, if done right, if you if you let these things happen and you embrace the process, you know, you will come out stronger than any other thing around you. You will be able to overcome any challenge and any obstacle, but you have to let it happen. You have to let it work in you and not try and and act like you know better than God. You know, well, I, I don't need to go through this. I don't need to experience this. I don't need this right now. How many times have you heard somebody say, last thing I need right now is this challenge? Well, yeah, maybe in your mind, it's overwhelming. Maybe it's too much right at that moment, but that's when you need to turn to God. And you need to say, I am overwhelmed. This is too much for me. I feel like I can't handle this. And that's when he'll give extra support. Well, I also, I think that um, Jesus Christ, could we say that he's the only individual that can say something was not fair? (laughs) Like in our... In our day, we're very, we're very bombarded by the concept of what's fair and what's not fair in our world. What should have happened, what can't happen. Someone that's innocent is is not treated correctly, or or you don't deserve this, or this person doesn't deserve to be treated like this. And he, he's the ultimate individual that did not deserve to be treated the way he was treated, but chose to be. So he can better, you know, so he can be our savior, so he can understand us, so he can carry out the atonement, right? Okay. And as his followers, I think we need to also reach a point where we we have to understand our agency and that we're here to act. But also, we have to kind of, it's almost, you have to reach that point where you say, thy will and not my will be done. And sometimes thy will is that that I will, or I will patiently and faithfully accept this situation, and and it's not like it's not like disciples of Christ. We need to hurl ourselves headfirst into depression and bad situations so we can. It's nothing like that. We don't have to be martyrs, but I think we also need to understand that to understand the Savior and to follow His teachings, an individual who had many things happened to him that weren't he's felt every injustice uh are we we too need to feel a little bit of what that is and kind of carry our cross and follow him you know which uh it's kind of surrendering yourself to the process to the refinement process and and being able to see the end from the beginning that's where i see Isaiah so many times uh, he's kind of showing the beginning and the end and th- and that process of refinement you know you take if you've ever looked at ore it most of the time it just looks like normal rocks or it looks ugly and then you talk about silver which is one of the cleanest looking metals you know and pretty shiny right and he's saying your life is going to be a little bit like this you know you're going to feel like this 
And in order to get there, there's a lot that needs to happen to you. And it's not going to be a magical process. It will take time and it takes effort and it takes things happening to you. Yeah. I also think it's really interesting that what he chooses to quote from Malachi, um, he chooses to talk about tithing and he chooses to talk about genealogy. And once again, we're talking about what are the most important things that he has to share with the people in the Americas? He knows he has finite time. He doesn't have years like he had with the people in Israel. He also knows his audience is going to be significantly more receptive than they were in Israel. So what am I going to talk about with them? What are the most important things about the gospel I can bring up? He brings up tithing and he brings up, you know, the hearts of the fathers turning to their children and the hearts of the children turning to their fathers. And I think really why does he bring up tithing i think money is one of the most mortal and temporal things we have we don't have money in the pre-existence and we don't have money in in the eternities after this life it's one of the only things in this life that is like uh <laughs> it's like a symbol of mortality you know how do you get it by work that you do through time and when you're in eternity time doesn't really matter Time matters here. So you're rewarded for your time and energy and your work by getting money. And so it's, it's a principle less of the church wants your money or the Lord wants your money and more of what are you willing, if you're willing to separate yourself from this mortal thing in search of immortal and infinite blessings. And I think that's the, that's the real principle of the tithe is when you realize that you're giving up something temporal for something eternal. It's a it's a big challenge because it's hard to say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay my tithing in the hopes that I'll get these intangible and invisible blessings. You know, <laughs> I have the money here, I can see that, and I can buy things that I can see and touch. Um, and giving that up, am I really gonna get these blessings, or or what's gonna happen? You know. Well, I I think about that. Uh, the law of tithing, like in verse 7 where he says, um, well, in verse 8, I am the Lord, I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I will return unto you. Behold, the Lord says, where, where wherein shall we return? And then he says, will a man rob God? Yeah. And And so he's saying throughout time, your problem has been you keep forgetting my ordinances and you turn away from me. Why don't you come back to me? And it's like, well, how can we come back more? We're here. How can we come back more? And I think he's speaking to our hearts. And I would say that the, I, I would say if the live tithing could be, in my mind, this is my opinion, if it could be changed to another name, I would call it the law of gratitude. Because that's really the expression that you're you're saying. When you understand the context and that these blessings, these material gains, are not yours, you know, and you're you're only here. It's almost like we're we're like uh, this life is like a rental. This isn't the destination. This isn't where we're buying our, our, our fortune, you know. And and while you're here, if you choose to be prideful, to be covetous, you'll have many um, temptations to put these riches ahead 
of the way you need to treat others, ahead of your spiritual talents, ahead of, of even the Lord. What helps you not do that is to always cultivate that you need to put the Lord first. And, and just like tithing, just like fasting or, or what is it, the sacrament, something that happens every day to us where we're hungry and we need to satisfy that hunger, liken that to spiritual thirst and spiritual um, feasting. The same thing when you're gaining in every day in your life, when you're thinking, I need to acquire shelter, I need to acquire food, I need to acquire the ability to pay my bills, you know, if the first thing you think of is, how can I show gratitude for whatever I have to the Lord? Then it, it makes sense. Then you won't forget him. Then you won't turn away from the Lord. You will begin to see him everywhere and you'll feel his blessings. It really goes hand in hand with the other things that he asked them to do. Um, keeping better records. And, you know, like I mentioned before, the genealogy aspect of, of remembering your ancestors and remembering those and thinking of those that come after you. When he brings up, the records, this is the part where he kind of uh, asks about Samuel the Lamanite, you know, and it's like, did you write down the things he said? Well, no, we didn't. And it was kind of like, okay, well, you need to do it. You need to write that stuff down. And a lot of other things where it, it became like more clear to them, we got to keep tighter records about this stuff. We can't just allow things to come to pass and not, not keep a record. Well, and Yeah, I find super interesting about that is it reminds me a lot of the garden of eden uh, as well the lord knew they haven't kept this record <laughs> yeah you know? but he first he asks them he lets them gives them an opportunity to be accountable and then when he finds out that uh uh in verse 20 uh, chapter 23 in verse 9 verily i said to you i commanded my servant samuel the lamanite that he should testify unto these people number 10 and his and his disciples answer and say, "Yeah, Lord Samuel did prophesy these words." Oh, okay. So he's he's step by step. So did you guys hear from him? Yeah, yeah, we heard from him. Did he say what I wanted you guys to say? Oh, yeah, he said exactly what you wanted to say. <laughs> and then eleven. Oh, how be it that ye have not written these things that they that the many saints did arise and appear unto many and did minister unto them? And it came to pass that Nephites remember that this thing had not been written. It came to pass that Jesus and and that's thirteen. That's it. Jesus commanded that it should be written. Therefore, it was written according to Isaac. He didn't expound 37 verses of him. Just, okay, you people, I have to tell you again. You know, like he, he wasn't chastising them. It was like, do you guys, it's almost like he's asking some of these questions to gauge their understanding before he, okay, then we need to record them. I think if at verse, uh, if in verse nine, if he said, oh, you know, uh, remember when it was said that he should rise from the dead and then the disciples said no Lord we don't remember that part okay well then let me tell you again you know right. it's like I don't know it, it's just interesting 12, and he knows all of this verse 12 kind of makes me laugh though and it came to pass that Nephi remembered that this thing had not been written and it's probably like Nephi's like uh yeah we, we didn't write that down <laughs> he's like the prophet at the time and it's probably the Lord's like, did you write this stuff down? And he's like, oh. Um, and everybody kind of looked at him like, what do we do, man? <laughs> we didn't write it down. And he's like, yeah, we, we didn't write that. Okay, make sure you write it down. Okay, yeah, we will. We will. But I think that that's really, isn't that kind of how we are too? Because it's like, we know we should be keeping a journal. We know we should be keeping a record of our spiritual experiences and our 
our testimony building stuff and also just kind of the mundane things that happen to us. We've been asked to, you know, keep a family history. And I don't think that's a mystery to anyone. And usually all it takes is a reminder. Hey, have you written this stuff down? This is a really cool experience. This is a really cool time in your life. You know, we're experiencing a global, a global pandemic right now. Shouldn't you maybe write some stuff down about how this is affecting your life and your experiences and your faith and your testimony so that others in the future can understand what it was like? And, you know, you might miss out on the opportunity to have those memories fresh. Write it down. We all know that we ought to. And a lot of times I think we have good intentions to do it, but we forget or we get busy. We don't have time to do it. And it's kind of, I mean, he's talking about writing down principles and prophecies and stuff like that. But for us, I think it's definitely more uh, like, are you doing your part to write down the things that have impacted your life? And how might that benefit people in the future? And how might that benefit you just to get things down on paper and to, to kind of process through some of your spiritual experiences or some of your trials even? Um, maybe instead of venting on Facebook, you vent into a journal so that you can process through some of your thoughts, you know? Uh, I, I don't know. I think when it comes down to keeping a record, we all know we ought to do better about it. And we don't really blame them for not writing it down at the moment. But in the end, Jesus commanded that it should be written. Therefore, it was written according as he commanded, and we ought to do the same. Yeah. Also, like, we have church callings. There's a ward historian. There's many callings where you keep records. And oftentimes it can feel like, oh, nobody's ever going to read this. Nobody, <laughs> you know. And you, you would have thought, Mormon, we know that the Book of Mormon, Mormon wrote one one hundredth. Or one, he included one one hundredth, or you know, some big fraction where he didn't include everything. But that doesn't mean that the other things they've written down weren't they weren't commanded to to write those down as well, you know. And just as the Lord knew exactly when something was missing, hey, what happened with this? Um, I think I think we will be asked one day, hey, what happened in the ochre stake? You know, you know what happened in this. The other thing I thought was, you know, when he explains that Elijah, the thought I had was, it's almost like, I, I, I don't know, I always think a lot about Enos, mm. I think about Elijah and how his prayer went from, he's kind of worried about himself, so he's worried about his people, so he's worried about his enemies. And, and I kind of think that, especially during this time, we see that the Lord and the prophets are aware of when people aren't going to follow. There's going to be a falling away. And I think that's why they preach. That's why they are watchmen on the towers, because they see this kind of behavior leads to apostasy. This kind of these 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 habits lead us to to break commandments or these sins lead us to the downfall of our nation. You know, and they're always just trying to to keep the boat just afloat and going in the right direction. And I see us like, I, I see this turning the hearts to the fathers and the children to the fathers, not fathers and children, is um, being mindful of your your heritage, your your ancestors, and then also being mindful forward of your descendants and your progenitors, you know, and um, 
how does your gospel choices affect them? And it can affect people both directions. If you come from individuals who haven't had the gospel, now you've given a chance to have the gospel. These the the blessings, the sealing powers that are restored through the restoration Elijah had, and and, and all those things, is um, the ability for you to provide a link to give those people the opportunity to make the covenants that you value really well. And then for you to be thinking forward is if I don't keep my covenants, my children will have a much harder time, and their children. They may be mired in false traditions and bad habits, as we have seen that happens in this book. And I, I look at it that way as you, like it's a blessing of you being able to see both directions and how your agency matters a lot, you know, yeah. for what, you're, what you can do for your ancestors. And, and you should, you know, either they've been faithful and have given you a great gift and don't squander it, or they have no idea and you need to give them a great gift, an opportunity to receive the ordinances, you know, through temple work, right? And, and in order to do any of that, I mean, the number one run is you need to know who's who. And that's like genealogy 101. But mm -hmm. the, I think the, the fuel and the engine that, that cycles all this is that the love and the charity to say, for those who haven't had this experience, they need to have it. And I can be like a savior on Mount Zion to them and, and give them an opportunity. And to those that come after, I need to be sure I have my act together and that I leave them with every opportunity to be successful and have the best mortal experience that they can have, right? And I think the natural man turns away from both of those thoughts. It's all about me. It's my time. I have a limited time here. Each drink can be married. I have a limited time. Why don't I get mine first? And then if there's maybe leftover, then I give. And tithing, and that's why tithing is kind of, I think, tied to this, because tithing is kind of the other way. It sees, I give the Lord first, and he'll make sure I always have extra. It's kind of the opposite. It's it's one of those paradoxes that works, you know, where uh, you think, like, if you get struck on the cheek, eye for an eye type of thing, you know. We can really buy into that, and we see how that works. But greater battles are won, turning the other cheek. And yeah. it doesn't feel like that should work. But the battle isn't the physical altercation. The battle is what happens to you in your heart and in your soul, you know? The effect of having rancor and having anger. And it's kind of the same with all these things. Like As you're so concerned about your acquiring assets and, and functioning and things you have to do in life, why putting the Lord first kind of, it's kind of like that weird, um, not weird, but that, that counter your natural reaction. Like you, you have these natural reflexes. A lot of them are good, but the ones you choose to master and the ones that you can, you, you can identify that, Hey, I don't have to get angry when somebody's angry. I don't have to cover what I don't have. I, I can, you know, I can choose to be grateful even when I don't have very much. How can I value things that I can't see over things that I can see? Yeah, I, I, can, I can speak from experience that we have always tried our best to pay tithing first. And by no means has it made us wealthy. <laughs> but what I have experienced is time and time and time again, 
the Lord's given us exactly what we need and not a whole lot more, but something crazy will happen where an expense will come up. And this is a totally mortal and temporal problem, but the blessing will come where we receive an opportunity or an ability to pay for that. And we didn't expect that to come in. And I think what it is, is that's, that's only one of the ways that we're blessed because I think the intent behind paying tithing also teaches you faith. And I think the, the, you know, when it says the windows of heaven will open and the blessings will, will shower on you. It's not all just money and it's not all just uh, removing of those physical or temporal things. Sometimes it's uh, a spiritual, you're showing obedience and then you're rewarded with a stronger testimony of the gospel. But there's an undeniable fact that I have experienced that there have been times when I did not know how we were going to pay for something, that there was an expense that we could not afford. And then something would happen. And I'm like, you can call it a coincidence. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it, you know, luck or chance or whatever. Um, but it happens too frequently and too exactly. I'm talking like we owe $503 and we get $503 and five cents, you know, <laughs> it's like, how did this happen? Why? What? What? The chances of that being a, a coincidence in my mind, may, you know, are, are very low. And it's just a reinforcer to tell me you're doing the right thing. Hang in there. And no, it, we owed $503 and we did not get 5000 You know, we got $503 and five cents, exactly what we needed and maybe a tiny smidge more. But that's that that has happened so many times in my own life that I I'm like, please, I want to pay tithing. I want to show my gratitude for what I've been given so that when things do come up like that, I can go to the Lord and say, hey, I, I'm trying to do my part. and I need I need help now and that I'm not going and saying, hey, I know I haven't done it. And I know that I I know better, you know, but that I can say I'm, I'm doing my part, please. You know, it's just countless times that's, that's happened that I have a strong testimony of of that principle. And I, I think it it's helped, helped me extend that to other principles as well throughout my life. You know, if this is true, then when they ask us to go to the temple, that the blessings from that are true also. And when they ask us to do genealogy, the, the principles, the blessings of that are true also. So it's a it's an interesting thing that it's, it seems totally based or very based on, on temporal and, and mortal concept of money and, and time. But yeah. if you look at the bigger picture, it's an eternal principle. Yeah, I, I also, you know, I was thinking about Elijah, like why not Elijah by Isaiah? Why is he so popular? He's he's one of the most quoted prophets, <laughs> important ones, you know? And I often think maybe he had a really good gift of writing and explaining things through imagery. And in a time where a lot of these things were passed down through uh, word of mouth and teachings were done by, you know, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, magazines and Yahona magazines and signs and scriptures being tossed around and not everybody probably didn't have a copy of their own scriptures but providing it in such imagery that it could it could stick with you no but here here's my favorite part of this whole chapters chapter 26 verse 6 where it says and now there cannot be written in this book even a hundredth part 
of the things that Jesus taught these people. Which makes it seem like these chapters make it very condensed, as if he's okay. there a couple of days. And then he says, uh, Behold, the plates of Nephi contain more part of the things which he taught. And these things I have written, which are the lesser part of the things which he taught the people. And I have written them to the intent that they may be brought again unto the people from the Gentiles according to the words that Jesus has spoken. And when they shall have received this, which is expedient that they should have first to try their faith, and it shall be that they shall believe these things, then shall the greater things be made manifest unto them. And if it so be that they will not believe these things, then shall the greater things be withheld from them unto their condemnation. Behold, I was about to write them, all which were engraven upon the plains of Nephi, but the Lord forbade it, saying, I will try the faith of my people. It's almost like he knows our nature. Well, he definitely knows how we are. And he knows that if he's giving us enough, the principles, if you master this, I will add more. And that's the whole uh, line upon line precept. And it's, it, I see it a lot like... Um, People that ask for a sign, if you show me a miracle, I will believe. You know? <laughs> How did that work with Laman and Lemuel? It didn't work. They didn't believe. They saw angels. They saw tons of miracles. They even heard the voice of the Lord, and it wasn't enough. And then the, the other thing that I found was really, really cool. In verse 13, therefore, I would that you should behold that the Lord truly did teach the people for the space of three days. And after that, he did show himself unto them oft, and did break bread oft, and blessed it, and gave it unto them. And it came to pass that he did teach, teach and minister unto the children of the multitude of whom, whom hath been spoken. And he did lose their tongues, and they did speak unto their fathers great marvelous things, even greater than he had revealed unto the people. And he loosed their tongues that they, may, that they could utter. One, it seems like he... He goes on for like three days teaching them. And then he comes and goes and checks up on them. And when he comes, he checks up, they eat together and they have the sacrament. And, and you know, he's kind of like fortifying them. And then the children again, you know, he then teaches the children and then has the children teach their parents things that were even greater than things that Jesus taught, which again shows that he's not in it for the glory, like for his glory. He's not the kind of leader who says, look how great I am. I'm the only one that can say great things. He, I think he's an example to say, if they, if I can teach them to be able to teach you, imagine what I can teach you. But also a trust in those children. And that's something we're learning to do more now as we, we're having the youth teach more of their own lessons and prepare more of their own stuff. And it's less dependent on leaders doing everything. The example that he set there was, we should not underestimate children and youth. They are very capable of understanding gospel principles. They're simple. The principles are very simple. And if we teach them properly, they'll understand them. And then in turn, be able to teach others. And we should trust that, they, that they'll grasp those concepts to the point where they can teach others and not dumb it down for them, you know, or, or say, oh, that's, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about tithing. You don't need to worry about genealogy. You're too little or you're too young. We'll, we'll worry about that later. Why not? Why not teach them? They'll understand. They may not get every concept right off the bat, but they will over time. In verse 26 at the end, 
you know, this this process, he's already told us to be baptized. And like that refining is our covenants. You know, our covenants help us. And in verse 17, it kind of says, and the disciples of Jesus had chosen began from that time forward to baptize and to teach as many as did come unto them. And as many as were baptized in the name of Jesus were filled with the Holy Ghost. So he's already told them to do this baptism, like I think the second or third chapter after he came, right? And he called his disciples and gave them authority that they should be baptized. And then 18, and many of them saw and heard unspeakable things, which are not lawful to be written. And I thought that was really interesting because I think of in our religion, are there things that we're told we should only talk about in certain places or things we should only do in certain places or things that we can't commonly talk about in public because they're sacred? I think if we've gone through the temple, we can feel like there's a similarity to that verse. You know, yeah. they're already there. They are at the temple bountiful. You know, and that's where Jesus came to was as a, as a, at the temple bountiful. I'd like to think that they had other ordinances happen, you know, that they've received uh, everything they could. And and you see that we went from, I'm going to tell you a few things and you're tired and I'll come back tomorrow. And he notices that they don't want him to leave. So he's giving them so much information, more than they can write. And to the point where even some of it they shouldn't write because it's just for you. And and that's kind of like the development that we have is there, there are things that we can share and invite others to partake of Christ that are common. And then there are individual, very personal things that are just between you and him. It's It's almost, it's hard for us to understand because we don't have leaders in the world like this that that are true to their word that don't go back on their promises and I, I another reason why i think isaiah is so powerful and, and and because that's his message is the lord doesn't abandon you he keeps his promises he will purify you he will redeem you like a hen gathers her chickens how many times his hand is stretched forth still there's so much of that where in our world today, to be a leader, it's popular to say whatever people want to hear, to have plausible deniability, to deny whatever, right? Or not be caught guilty. Or if you're caught, then you 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 don't take accountability. You you dismiss the person that you appointed over that certain topic. I dismiss them, and and so the heat's off my back, type of thing. And and it's like the way Christ leads is very different, and He leads in a way that He's developing people and helping people become more and he's not he's okay that he's not the spotlight you are you are the spotlight your your children he's not egotistical you know what i mean and that was one of the things i that really stuck out to me as i'm reading these chapters and when he knows something wasn't done right you know the way he addresses samuel the lamanite issue is is could he he had three all this other teaching couldn't he have just filled that gap but he wanted them to know this is important you should write this you know no one's in trouble you know <laughs> you should write this let's fix but, it but hopefully they'll understand that going forward when the prophet speaks 
that it should be recorded. You know. Well, it's it's kind of like, would you rather have your dad grab a chair and break it over your back, or tell you he's disappointed in you? Which one is going to have the greatest impact, right? Yeah. And if you don't have a relationship with your dad, he can say he's disappointed in you. It doesn't mean anything. It's like the chair. I'll take the, the chair is worse. But if you know your dad loves you and he spent time and you've been side by side and you've seen him sacrifice for you. And then he tells you, son, I'm disappointed in you. Ooh, just rip your heart out of your soul. That's going to hurt so bad, right? And it's not his intent, right? But it's like Christ can be such a powerful leader because he takes time to develop that relationship. And there are times when he does chastise and he will say, you know what, you should have done that or, you know, those things. But he invites everyone to come and come and develop a relationship with him. And and everything he's doing, and that's something you pointed out, was to develop people and to build people up. And so if we if we take that into consideration in our own lives, is the way that we act in church a way that um, we're just trying to show off how much we know? Is the way that we act in family home evening just trying to assert authority? Is the way that we act among our friends and family just a way of showing that we've got it all figured out and we're better off than they are? Or are we trying to look around and reach out and build up those around us? And if everyone was doing that, if everyone was trying to build each other up all the time, that will bring unity. That will, by, by default, bring unity. Because we're all looking for not to say, all right, it's time you learned this lesson, you know, but rather, hey, do you need help? Do you need help to understand? Do you need help to to get over this trial so that I can benefit from it, so that you can benefit from it, so that we can we can both be stronger because of this? I think that's how Christ works. It's not a way where he came down and said, all right. I'm here now. I'm going to tell you how it all is. And you're going to just worship me and understand forever that I'm better than you. Instead, he came down and said, the father is the one you should worship. I am his intermediary. I was sent by him to do these things. I was sent by him to teach you the the following so that you can also become like him. So that you can also achieve your full potential, not only here on earth, but also in the eternities. It was all about building up these people. And as we go back and we think about the individuals, right? How many times in the last few chapters that he he focuses on individual people? It's it's about the individual more than just getting accolades, getting honor, getting respect from this group of, of people. He wants them, they themselves to come out better off than ever before and to be able to carry that with them the rest of their lives. That's how we have to approach our lives. We have to look at it as, what benefit am I bringing to those around me? How am I building others up? What positive effect am I having on them? In every, in every facet of our lives. And it's challenging because we're not gods yet. And we, we slip and we fall and we make mistakes and we judge people and we have lots of shortcomings and weaknesses. But, but see, in, in the, like when you say that, but we have these things and I'm like, but that's part of the sauce. That's part yeah. of the soup. That's part of the stew we're in. We're working on, you know, it's just, it's, we, we're, we're just asked to be on the path. The, the journey is get good at staying on the path, get good at persevering, get good at, you know, verse 19, where it says, and they taught and they minister one to another, and they had all things in common among every, the, 
among them, every man de dealing justly one with him. Where did they just learn all this? Hello? <laughs> and it came to pass that they do all things even as Jesus had commanded them. And they have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and called the Church of Christ. You know, we're going to read in the next verses how they were the happiest people in the face of the entire earth. And when we started this this section of stories in, in chapter 35, 9, 10, 9 and 10, there was a lot of fear, chaos, darkness, destruction. And we're going to go from that to you are the happiest, the happiest people among all the people that have ever lived. What changed? Well, Jesus Christ came and shared principles to live by. Are there still a lot of broken buildings, broken roads, things that need to be fixing? Yeah, but that kind of doesn't matter. What they had valued before was the great cities and this great enterprise and wealth. And, you know, that's probably not fixed by now, right? <laughs> no. You know, in the... I don't know. I, I look at in the, in the New Testament when Christ says, blessed are those who, and blessed are those who believe upon your words. And, and you know, But blessed be those that believe upon these words and have not seen me. Mm. When he talks to uh, Thomas and he says, blessed are you, Thomas, because I, I, because yeah, flesh and blood has revealed this to you. Blessed are those who have not had this and will believe. And I look at the gospel almost like this, I don't know, it's almost like this living thing that goes through generations. And its assurance becomes real in your life. And you can know as you believe these principles, you can know as much as if you were there. And in, in cases, more than some that were there and doubted. Because you truly need a testimony of the Holy Ghost to know that Jesus is the Christ. Our physical senses aren't enough. It has to be written into our hearts and our spirit, right? And it's like so great a gospel that I wish, I, I read these stories and I'm like, I wish I was there. I wish, why are they so lucky that they get to see them? And everything else in the gospel says, but he's here now. He's here in these scriptures and these things. And we all will come back to him and see him. Because he will, you know, uh, you know, in the Book of Mormon, it tells us he, he's the one that, he's the keeper of the gate. Employees, no servant there. And then in, in Alma, it tells us, as soon as your body departs, your spirit departs this, this uh, mortal body, you're taken back home to that God that gave you life. So one way or another, you're going to see him and meet him again, you know. <laughs> If, in my opinion, is I think the Savior is very careful that that He allows people to continue to use their agency to choose what's right, even when He's there. Like He's not trying to force people to do it. You still get to choose, and and He continuously says in the New Testament and in here, I must have, I have to go away for your sakes, and that always has stuck with me. Why does He have to when out? Why wouldn't you be happiest when you're always around? And it's and it comes back to that. Where are we? What are we supposed to do? For your sakes, you need to do this on your own. Meaning on your own agency. 
Now, for your sakes, I give you prophets, I give you scriptures, I give you gift of hope, I give you all these commandments. And as you exercise them, you will draw nearer to me. And then we can be unstoppable. We can be connected. We can be united forever. You can be my disciple, you know, that kind of thing. If not, then you get further and further away. And even if I were there, you would reach a point where you would not recognize me. Just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had studied the scripture, who were masters of how many verses, how many sentences, how many, you know, things. They, but they didn't do it with the right spirit. So when they saw him, they didn't recognize him. They were threatened by him. They, and they killed their God, right? And that's what he's trying to get us is, so when you see me, you see my image in your countenance. You know it's me because we've been together through this life all along. And that's that's the thing is like, that's why the gospel is so, like we, we wished that, hey, maybe you wish you were there at Temple Bountiful. And yeah, you probably would be awesome. But you're here at Okra Mountain Temple, Salt Lake Temple, Bountiful Temple. Like how many more temples? You know, like <laughs> more temples than any other time where you have a prophet. Not just one. You have 15 others, and there's like this unbroken line for almost 100 years now, right? Of really good advice, really good stuff, you know? The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places that the spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come. Follow me.